The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the forum today. My name is Russell Matthews. We want to welcome you to today's talk. Today, actually, it's a new series for those of you uh, coming along maybe for the first time. Um, we have a new series that we're starting today called The Australian Dream. Um, we have a special guest speaker today, and Simon Piller. He's going to be looking at the topic of, is it all about money? For those of you who may not have come along um, to the forum before, let me just kind of tell you what you should expect, and I'll explain, also introduce our um, speaker to you here in just a moment. If this may be your first time coming along, we've I've already seen a few visitors today. We want to welcome you as we welcome all those that come along to the forum each week. And we do meet here on Thursdays and also down at the other end of the city on Wednesdays at the same time. And what we do is we just give you opportunity um, to be able to kind of hear a talk um, on biblical um, issues and uh, topics and also just looking at areas of the Bible. What we encourage you to do, and the reason why we call it a forum, is uh, you have the opportunity to engage with the speaker in, a different, in different ways. Um, we'll have on the screen for you in a moment uh, a phone number that you'd be able to SMS questions in. Um, so you'd be able to send during the talk, if you want to just send some SMS questions to um, us, we'll be able to get those to the speaker at the end. If you don't want to do the SMS um, question, you'd just like to go and just write those questions down, please do. There's a small slip of paper on the inside of your outline. Just grab your pen and be able to write those questions down, and we'll be able to ask those questions that way. And also, if you're really brave, um, and we'll have a microphone here at the end that if you'd like to be able to ask a question, if we have time left um, of our speaker, you can do that too. So uh, the talk will go about 20 minutes or so, or 25 minutes, and then um, we'll kind of open it up for questions, and we'll start with the SMS questions most likely. Our goal will be to be done by about 10 to the hour, so make sure you're able to get back to work on time. Now, Simon, Simon, we're thankful to have him here today and uh, thankful to have him along. As you can see, there's a short bio inside of your outline there as the founding partner of Pacific, Pacific Equity Partners. And um, for those of you, definitely a market leader in uh, investments in regards to um, different organizations such as Spotless, Peters, Ice Cream, Hoyts, and also Link Market Services. Uh, more of the details are there for you. Definitely comes with a wealth of experience, but also opportunity to be able to kind of communicate on this topic here today. So, Simon, we want to welcome you. Thank you for being here, and please um, send in your questions, and I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Russ. Thank you so much. <clears throat> well, let me add my welcome to, uh, to those of you who are coming to forum uh, meetings for the first time. Um, it's great to be here. Um, when I, uh, at the early stages of uh, agreeing to do this talk, uh, there was some marketing material uh, that was being put together, and uh, Russ introduced me as a founding partner of uh, Pacific Equity Partners. In those early stages of the marketing material, it was the f a foundering partner of PEP. And I called Peter and Russ up. I said, is this something you guys know that I don't? Um, now, you're probably already wondering why a guy with an English accent standing up here to talk about the Australian dream. Um, yes, I am a POM, um, but I've lived here actually longer than I lived in the UK before I left. My kids are Australian. But actually, I think the real reason that I'm standing here before you today is that when I talked to uh, Peter and Russ um, about doing this talk, it was back in the middle of the summer. And I think that 
they got a slightly uh, sort of perverse pleasure out of asking an Englishman to talk about the Australian dream against the backdrop of the English nightmare that was the Ashes series of 2013. But on to our topic for today. <clears throat> what is it that we enjoy in life? Is it our home, a place to call our own? Maybe you're a, a sportsman or a sportswoman and you enjoy the rush of playing a competitive game and having a few drinks with your friends afterwards. Maybe you're a surfer. Maybe you love the whole uh, aesthetic pleasure of sitting out the back on a beautiful uh, summer's morning watching the sun, sun come up over the eastern horizon. Um, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, the pleasure and the joy of deep relationships with people. Maybe it's the, uh, the great uh, joy that you get from spending an evening uh, of uninhibited conversation and laughter with uh, a couple of girlfriends. Um, I enjoy lots of things. I, uh, I love my family. I love my children and the challenges and the joys of being a father on a more mundane level. Uh, I enjoy a nice bottle of wine. Um, I enjoy my sport too. I love the rush of endorphins when I'm playing a competitive game of tennis uh, or uh, competing in a triathlon. And I've enjoyed this year, particularly, I'm a, I'm a soccer fan, and my team is Liverpool, and uh, we've come this close to winning the Premiership until last night when Man City thrashed Aston Villa. Um, the point is, isn't it, that there is much in life to enjoy, there's much in life to celebrate, and yet we can take what is inherently good and spoil it. So my enjoyment of a nice bottle of wine can spill over uh, into a habit and uh, then potentially into dependency. My passion for the team I support uh, can become an, an obsession and it can result in the sort of violence that marred European soccer during the 1980s. And even my love for my children can cause me to idolize them uh, and not prepare them for uh, the knocks and reversals of life or on the other hand to become resentful if they don't live up to the expectations uh, that uh, I subconsciously set for them. And so it is with this, the Australian dream. The Australian dream was, uh, in its, an, its original form, something that was inherently positive and socially constructive. But in the same way as I've described the good things, that good things can be spoiled by the way that we approach them, uh, this is sadly what we've done to the Australian dream. The dream's become badly distorted. It's become uh, really a treadmill that we get on almost without knowing it. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to uh, explain that through this talk. So what I want to do really is three things. First is to describe what the Australian dream was, uh, what it's become and, and why. Secondly, to highlight three things, uh, three ways in which this new version of the Australian dream profoundly affects us both as individuals but actually also more broadly our society. And then thirdly, to bring, as Russ said, some biblical wisdom to bear and explore how the Bible shows us how to break out of what's really become a materialistic dependency at the heart of this change, this modern Australian dream. So those are the three main things that we're going to do uh, in the short time that we have together. First then, what uh, was the Australian dream uh, and what, it is, what has it become and why? Well, the idea of the Australian dream goes back to the 1950s, and the icon that uh, Russ and the team have put together for this series of talks is very appropriate. 
Uh, it uh, encapsulates the idea of the home, the, uh, the tight nuclear uh, family. Um, and uh, it sort of goes back very much. Is it on the screen? Yes, it is. It uh, goes back in sort of style to the 1950s. The Australian dream, as it originally um, was, uh, uh, was manifested, was really a response to the deprivations of war. Uh, here's what the, uh, the, the fount of all knowledge, Wikipedia, uh, says uh, the Australian dream was. It was something that was mirrored in uh, many post-war economies uh, in the West, it was in many ways uh, a way for government to galvanize the population around a vision for the country which encompassed both, on the one hand, independence, but actually also community. At its heart uh, was indeed the ownership of one's own home, one's castle uh, and the quarter-acre block, and perhaps uh, the Holden uh, in the driveway. Here's another sort of icon of the Australian dream. There you see the, uh, the Holden in the driveway as well as the uh, mostly single-story uh, dwellings. Uh, in the 1950s. And here's the version in Queensland where the single-story dwelling is on stilts. But by the 1970s, as we saw before the dream had already started to change, uh, aspirations had grown. Uh, the quarter-acre block didn't satisfy anymore. A single home wasn't sufficient. The dream had expanded to incorporate the holiday house as well. And during the ensuing, 90, uh, ensuing 40 years, uh, it has transformed beyond recognition. Uh, homes became larger and larger. At the same time, as, as household size on average has reduced, meaning that our space per inhabitant has ballooned. We now in Australia have the largest homes per capita on average on the planet. Amazing, isn't it? And if we can't buy big enough properties, we renovate. A friend of mine's a, uh, a tennis coach, and I was chatting to him a few months ago, and he was telling me of a conversation that he'd overheard between two eight-year-old girls at a tennis camp in Mossman. And it went something like this. Girl one, where do you live? Girl two, oh, we live in an apartment on Raglan Street. Girl one again, an apartment? Are you renovating? <laughs> and single property ownership. Uh, seems to be a thing of the past. Leave aside holiday properties uh, at the upper end of the socio-demographic uh, spectrum. Australians are prolific owners of investment properties. 8% of our population owning at least one rental property and over a quarter of that number uh, owning more than one, two up to, in some instances, five. And the Holden in the garage has become uh, the Lexus and the VW in the double garage plus the Holden in the garage as well. We've become, over this period, over the last 40 years, uh, extraordinarily focused and, um, uh, and effective collectors of stuff. Well, not only have we become um, more materialistic, uh, values have shifted in other ways too. We've become uh, very self-focused. We're encouraged by influences from uh, pop psychology, uh, to marketing companies to believe that happiness is about uh, fulfilling our dreams. We all recognize the marketing taglines, don't we? Was it the L'Oreal one? Uh, because you're worth it. Uh, or there's an Asian airline whose tagline is, it's all about you. But even the seemingly innocuous phrase, self-esteem, demonstrates the emphasis that uh, modern society places on how we think about ourselves. So we've become self-obsessed and the consequence is that we've come to count success as the amount of stuff 
that we own, but also the experiences that we have and our levels of achievement or indeed those of our children. Uh, how is this increasingly acquisitive drive being facilitated? Well, it won't come as a surprise to you. I think we all know this, but here are the numbers. The early 2000s were the most extraordinary period in history uh, in terms of the growth of debt. Household debt between uh, 1990 and the beginning of the financial crisis in 2008 uh, increased sixfold, sixfold. We became debt junkies, and we used it to fuel uh, our uh, desire, particularly for property, but also for other stuff uh, and for experiences. What underlies this? Well, I think it's because we've become confused between the ideas of need and want. We've convinced ourselves that luxuries are necessities. And it's very easy to do. We, we all do it, don't we? You know, even with the best of intentions, we do that. While money itself, goes back to the point I was making earlier, while money itself is inherently a good thing for all of the things that it facilitates and all of the things that we can use it to for good, the problem is, as the Bible tells us, the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we've come to love money for the security and the status and the stuff that it buys us. The simple Australian dream has become... Um, distorted by really a very corrosive uh, materialism. In their 1950s uh, social commentary uh, called Affluenza, Clive Hamilton and Richard Dennis write this. Despite the barrage of advertising that tries to tell us otherwise, the more materialistic we are, the less free we are. Why? Because we must commit more of our lives to working to pay for our material desires. And the more acquisitive we are, the more our desires and the means of satisfying them are actually determined by others. Acquisitive people derive their sense of identity and their imagined place in society from the things they own. Yet the things, the symbols that confer self-worth and status, are at the whim of external forces, of fashion. Materialism thus robs us of our autonomy. And that's really the segue to my second point. So we've looked at what the Australian dream was, uh, what it's become, and the reasons why. The second thing I want to do is to look at what are some of the manifestations of this dream, of the dream becoming distorted. And we're going to look at three. We're going to look at the effect of this on our uh, work patterns, and we're going to have a look at this, uh, the effect of this on our health, and then thirdly, uh, the effect of this on our relationships. Well, let's first look at our work patterns. Um, and what you'll see, if you actually look at the top line of working hours in Australia, you'll see that the av average working hours has actually come down over time. Why is that? Don't be, don't be deceived. It's because there are many more part-time workers in the workforce now than there used to be. So what's important is actually to look at what's happened to the work patterns of full-time workers. And the reality is that Australia continues, or con Australia, Australians continue to work some of the longest hours uh, in full-time work in the developed world. Full-time employees in Australia work 43.2 hours per week. It's one of the highest in the OECD. And if we look at the men within the full-time workforce, 40% um, work more than 45 hours, 30% work more than 50 hours, and 15% work more than 60 hours. And the proportion uh, of men working these sorts of hours has grown substantially since the late 1970s. Women are catching up. Between 1978 and the mid-2000s, the proportion of women working more than 50 hours per week uh, doubled. 
deferred happiness syndrome. I wonder if you've heard of that uh, term, but basically uh, it is what it sounds. Uh, it's sacrificing the present for future benefit. It's deferring happiness for the future. And most of the sacrifices, sadly, as we're probably aware, are centered on relationships with family and friends. A third of the working population in Australia suffers, that's the right word, from deferred happiness syndrome. But these data aren't surprising, are they? Because we go back to that earlier slide, as we loaded up on debt in the early 2000s, we now have to commit more and more hours to servicing that debt and paying it down. Well, our second, uh, second point here under this uh, second main point of our talk, uh, what's the impact of this on our health? Well, the overwork comes, not surprisingly, at a significant cost to our mental health, notably. 25%, one in four workers in Australia experience workplace stress, with 10% describing their stress levels as high or very high. 3.3 million Australians suffer sleep loss as a result of work stress. I wonder how many in the room can relate to that. I think I can. And as we deal with increased work pressures and financial strain, many turn to one form of medication or another to deal with it. In the mid-2000s, one in four, 25%, reported that they used one or other of medication or alcohol to help deal with stress and to manage mental well-being. One would suspect that was 10 years ago, that it's much higher than that now. And finally, how about our relationships? Inevitably, uh, the cost of working longer hours has a significant effect on the lives of Australian workers and their families. The Australia Institute uh, undertook a, a survey recently, and one in five respondents, 20%, equating to around 2.3 million Australian workers, report that the impact uh, of uh, work hours on their relationships is uh, severe. 50% of respondents said that their working hours, if their working hours were shorter, they would prioritize that additional time for their family. 25% would prioritize it uh, for time with friends. We're relational beings. We're relational beings, and we resent having to spend as much time as we do working, when in our heart of hearts we know that actually true joy uh, and true happiness is to be had in the company of family and friends. Well, that's our second point. What have been three manifestations of this changed Australian dream on, uh, on our health, on our working hours, our working patterns, and on our relationships? Let's come to our third point. If the Australian dream has been distorted uh, in a way that, that is affecting key aspects of life in such negative ways, how do we break out of that? Is there a better dream? Is there a, a better way to approach life? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what lies at the root of the problem? In the early part of the 20th century, the Times of London asked a question of its readers to the effect, what's wrong with the world? So in other words, we're not the only people in the early 21st century to be asking these sorts of big questions. And the writer, G.K. Chesterton, wrote back, I think this was around 1910, wrote back and said, Dear Sir... I am yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. In other words, what he was saying was that for all the great things that mankind has achieved in progressing society, uh, material advances, social advances, great technological leap, leaps forward, uh, society's vulnerability lies in the capacity 
back to the early point that I was making, the capacity of humanity to take what is inherently good and spoil it. In other words, put it another way, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. And I said in my introduction that I wanted in the last part of uh, of my talk here to turn to wisdom from the Bible. And I'm going to use uh, a story or what's called a parable uh, that Jesus uh, is recorded as having taught in Luke's Gospel. And Jesus, in this story, used it to respond to a man who was calling on him uh, to intervene in an argument that he was having with his brother over an inheritance. Sadly, these things happen, to happen, happen more than we like, don't they? And he was a man who was overly concerned about how he was going to get his, his fair share out of this inheritance. He was very focused on the material outcome of the death of his father or the relation who had bequeathed the, uh, the goods. Let's listen now to how Jesus responded to him. And I'm going to read this section. I'll put it up on the uh, screen and uh, you'll be able to follow it. And then I'll paraphrase it afterwards. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, will, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus tells the story of a landowner who's been very successful in uh, growing his crops. Well, this was an agrarian society, but maybe in metropolitan Sydney today, this man would have been a successful partner in a professional services firm. The man in the story was thoughtful and wise about how he planned for his business success, and there's nothing wrong with that. He planned for the future, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that either. If I build bigger barns, he said, I will be able to reap a bigger crop and be secure. But the clue to his error is both in the text that's on the screen and in the ultimate judgment that Jesus passes on his attitude. First of all, in the text, you can't help but notice that this man is self-obsessed. In three verses, the story has him using the word I six times. His decisions are all about what is best for me. And in our Sydney analogue, he may well have been a respected member of the establishment. He was certainly, it would seem, no Jordan Belfort of Wolf of Wall Street infamy. He may, may well have been active in charitable giving and on charitable boards. But what the story wants us to see is that his primary focus was on self-indulgence. See in verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And so our Sydney partner had his yacht on Pittwater, his holiday house in Palm Beach, possibly his condo in Whistler. 
But at the height of his powers, what happens to this man? He dies. And look at what Jesus tells his listeners is God's verdict in verse 20. You fool. Why does Jesus say that? He was a man who, in the eyes of the world, had done well. He'd lived respectably. He was admired by many. He'd been wise. He'd retired in good time to enjoy all of the good things uh, that he'd accumulated over time. But Jesus' verdict is that he was merely a fool. And the verdict is because he hadn't been rich towards God. Look at that last verse. Because he hadn't been rich towards God. Now, in the context of Jesus' teaching throughout the Gospels, this is more than just about how he used his wealth, about giving to, uh, to uh, charities and, and so on and so forth, although those, although those things are very good things to do. It's much more profound, profound than that. It's actually about giving God due honor. It's about orienting our lives away from self towards God and making him our number one priority. If God is real, and I know that there will be some of you today who question that, but if God is real, as the Bible asserts, he made you and me, and therefore it's foolish to live our lives as if he didn't exist. The really wise thing to do, the opposite of being foolish here, the really wise thing to do is to seek him out and know him. This man had lived well in the eyes of the world, but he'd ultimately lived for himself. And the judgment that was passed on him was simple, it was short, and it was very scary. He was a fool. Well, this rich fool, as he's commonly known, had a heart problem. His heart was self-oriented, it was self-focused. And it's the same condition, the same problem that pervades our society today. It's why the Australian dream has become distorted with all of the fallout on relationships and so on and so forth that I've described. We've become, we've become so self-oriented that we pursue self-gratification, not just to our material and our emotional detriment, some of the things that I've outlined, but actually, as this passage points out, more insidiously and dangerously to our spiritual detriment as well. So let me, let me move to conclusion. There's much about the, uh, the original Australian dream which is good and commendable. But sadly, like so many things which are inherently good, we've spoiled it. And we've caused it to morph into a beast which uh, controls and drives us to acquire, to experience, and to consume. And at the heart of the problem is how we've allowed our hearts to become captivated, not by the God of the Bible, but by the God of self. We've created idols which we hope will satisfy us in areas of security and status and maybe other things. And the Bible's answer to our problem is that the opposite of the foolishness of living this way is to be rich towards God, to change our orientation, to acknowledge him for who he is and to live in relation to him instead of purely to ourselves. Well, I wonder, if, as, I, as I've been speaking, if you've been mentally ticking off some of the things that I've touched on. Long working hours, tick. Compromising friendships and relationships because of my work, ouch, yep. Enjoying perhaps more than one or two drinks in an evening 
after work because actually it does help me relax. Tick. Being focused on that next bonus check, which will allow me to move and get on with that much-needed renovation. Yep. Well, can I say to you that if you have been doing that and you've been ticking a lot of those boxes, I'm with you. I can relate to that. As I've been preparing this talk, it's been very challenging because it's, it's made me aware afresh of how easy it is to get sucked in uh, to the machine that is uh, our modern materialistic society. I'm guilty in many ways of the very things that we've been discussing. I work some very long hours. Certainly at the moment, my travel has me away from my family for extended periods. I work in a high-stress environment, and I'm conscious of uh, the impact that that can have on health uh, and on relationships. And I'm painfully conscious that some of the choices I'm making are made not because my heart is properly oriented towards the God who made me, but actually because of the false gods of self and of status and of security, which are false gods that are very easy to serve. I'm prone to setting the wrong priorities and to having my, um, my heart seduced by this sideshow of stuff. So I'm with you if you've been ticking those boxes. And that's why, as I close, the three questions that I want to leave with you are the ones that actually, over these past several weeks, <clears throat> as I've been preparing this talk, I've been asking myself. The first is, what's your heart captivated by? As you reflect honestly on that, where are your priorities? Elsewhere in the, in the Bible, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus teaches that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And so the question I want to leave you with there is, where is your treasure? Because there will your heart be. Secondly, how do you respond to Jesus' words to the crowd that it is foolish, foolishness, not to be rich towards God? And finally, and here's the, here's the rub, will you do something about it? Now, you may be a Christian here today, and I hope that this reminder of the importance of, of prioritizing, uh, seeking to live your life by being rich towards God, is, is an encouragement to you, but actually also challenges you, as it has me as I prepared this talk. Or you may be here today just checking things out. You may be uncertain. Uh, you may be skeptical. First of all, thank you very much for being here. It's, uh, it's absolutely terrific that you are. But more than that, I hope that what you've come to see in this short time that we've had together in a small way is the way in which the Bible speaks into our contemporary issues, particularly by pinpointing our spiritual deficit. That's what the Bible does. It points out our need. But whatever your starting point, what I'd like to do is to encourage you to come along to the next three weeks of talks. Al Stewart, uh, who's a very gifted speaker, uh, we'll be unpacking in more detail some of the things that I've only been able to touch on uh, today, and I'm sure that Russ at the end will give you a little bit more detail on that. 
Um, but I'm going to stop talking now, and I'm going to offer the opportunity for questions. Great. Thank you so much, Simon. We'll take a moment here at the end. Thank you. And um, for, If you do have questions, um, please write them down or send them in. There's actually, I've, I've got about uh, four or five questions already for you. So we'll see as far as how much time. If I don't get to all of your questions, I do apologize for our, with the limitation of time. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and get into the first one, if that's all right. Um, what, should have, what should the rich guy have done differently in that parable? Yeah. It's a really, really central question, isn't it? Um, And it boils down to what Jesus means when he says about being rich towards God. The easy answer to give is, oh, he should have sold up everything and given it away. Uh, That's actually not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus does say elsewhere in the Bible that it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Uh, But that's much more to do with the orientation that uh, can come about if you are wealthy because there's so much temptation to actually orient yourself away from God and towards stuff. But actually what Jesus is saying here is rich, rich, being rich towards God is in the very first instance is orienting ourselves away from self and orienting ourselves towards God. It's saying living out my life just in reference to myself is empty. More than that, the Bible teaches actually a dangerous thing to do because our natural state is we're in rebellion against God. And if we carry on going down that path, he'll just let us carry on going down that path. And that's a really, really bad place to be. So actually being rich towards God in the very first instance is reorienting ourselves, recognizing that we have a need, trusting him that in Jesus that need has been met. And we can, through that, therefore have a relationship with the God who made us. That's in the very first instance. And then what, what then flows out of that is that our lives start to change because we've moved away from being self-oriented to being or being self-pointing uh, at ourselves, pointing towards God and understanding what his purposes are for us. And so being rich towards him will inevitably, I suspect, for this rich man in the story, if he had gone that route, would have ended up him thinking differently about the barns that he was going to build. You know, if his life fundamentally had been oriented towards being rich towards God and he had a relationship with, with uh, the God of the Bible, I suspect, I suspect what he would have said was, I'm going to build barns, I'm going to sell my crop well, and I'm not going to spend it all on myself. Actually, I'm going to, yes, indeed, give some of it away, or I'm going to invest it for gospel ministry, and I'm going to do some things that really serve God and his kingdom with my stuff. So I don't think the story is saying that the the, the man was wrong in planning and thinking about those things. What the story is saying is he was foolish because it was all about me and it wasn't about God. All right. Um, Next question is actually a personal question to you. As a follower of Jesus, as you stated, and also as as a businessman who's seen relative success, how do you keep deferred happiness syndrome under check from a practical point of view? Yeah. Um, <coughs> it's hard. It's hard. You know, there's always more to do, isn't there? There's always more to do at the end of the day. There's always another deal that you can be working on. Um, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, personally, uh, I, I do find it challenging. As I said, I found this uh, talk, preparing this talk and thinking about, um, you know, the amount of time that I am traveling and working at the moment, very, very challenging. Um, uh, I think it's, a, it's about 
it comes back to you know to, to, to a little bit to the answer of my last to, to the last question, which is if I allow myself to be too oriented around those false gods of status and of security and stuff, then I will get it wrong. But actually, if I orient myself around my relationship with God and how he wants me to work out things in my life in relation to him, placing him as my top priority, then it's not, it's not straightforward, but it makes it an awful lot easier because you see that you know, the prior- priorities that he has for my life, which are right priorities, you know, my satisfaction, my joy, my contentedness as a human being is never going to be satisfied by pursuing this path. The God who made me wants me to be in relationship with him because he knows that that's ultimately how I will find true contentment. And so as I go off down this path, I'm always going to find dissatisfaction. If I go this path and I'm in relationship with God, not because of anything that I've done, but because he's brought me into relationship with him through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, then I have, I have a, a, a father who, through his word, helps me to get those things right. Now, do I always get them right? Absolutely not. But if I find that I'm going down this path, as I am at the moment, of working too much and traveling too much, as I reflect on my relationship with God, as I reflect on how he teaches me through his word, it helps me get that balance back. Okay. Just, oh, I kind of co- oh, no, 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 you're, it's great. No, it's just from, um, I'm just going to probably combine a couple questions just because I think they kind of, um, kind of come together. It says, one, does, does it mean being a Christian is that we have to be poor? But and depending on how you answer that question, then if, um, what are we supposed to do with the money if we, do, if we do actually acquire some level of wealth? What do we do with those, that money? Um, there, is a, uh, there is a verse in Proverbs, which is one of the Old Testament books. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful book of, it's called a wisdom book. Um, and there's lots of pithy wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And there's a verse, and I can't remember which, which verse it is, but it says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Um, so there's no virtue in poverty. The Bible itself says actually poverty can actually cause you to be resentful, to be envious, to actually you know, act, act wrongly, act, uh, act badly. So there's no virtue in poverty per se, but equally... We want to be very, very careful about wealth because wealth is seductive. This is why Jesus does say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. It's not because inherently rich men can't be Christians, but wealth is seductive. And so uh, we're not called, I believe, as Christians just to sell everything, give everything away, and to be poor. But equally, we need to be very careful if we are in the fortunate position that we have been able to build a little bit of wealth that we don't allow it to seduce. And again, this is all about the orientation uh, of our heart and listening to God's instruction on that stuff. What do we do if we do, uh, you know, if we do come into, uh, into money? Well, first of all, you know, there's a principle that the Bible talks about, about being good stewards. And good stewards means you know, using what we've been given. It may, be, it may be monetary wealth. It may actually also be just the gifts that we have. We may be really good at something. And what the Bible encourages us is, is to do is to use those things 
to bring glory to God, to introduce people to who Jesus is, uh, the most important person in history, as Christians believe. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the wonderful thing about uh, being a Christian, about the gospel, is that we have great freedom in these things. You know, there are no fixed set rules. Um, you know, if you come into uh, you can, if you come into wealth, you you know you have the freedom in your relationship with God to work out how He wants you to use that. But what He doesn't want you to do is to use it by being rich towards Him uh, and you know supporting uh, uh, supporting uh, things that bring glory to Him. And so we have great freedom within that. Uh, but the thing that we see from the story is whatever we need to do. We need to be very careful that if we do come into that wealth, we don't fritter it away on self, because that's not what being rich towards God is about. Well, thank you very much, Simon. Unfortunately, our, t- our time is up. If you want to join me in thanking Simon for, uh, for being here today and being a part of City Bible Forum, I'll let you go ahead and sit down, and I'll just make a couple announcements here real quick. Just, uh, just a few brief announcements for you. I guess I don't need to speak to that anymore. Um, just uh, so you're aware, we do have a series, as Simon mentioned. Um, we have a series coming up uh, following this, actually, on the Australian Dream, and it, Al Stewart will be our primary speaker for that. And so uh, the details are inside of your outline, and so just so you're aware of that, um, next week we'll be looking at the idea of rest, the land of the long, actually scratch that, disappearing weekend. So uh, hopefully you come along to that. Also, we want to encourage you, inside of your outline, you'll find um, a form that you'll see inside that about a short course for the curious. There might be some of those that Simon had mentioned that uh, maybe this is the first time you've been kind of engaged with the idea or maybe it's something you've been looking at for a while, the whole notion and idea of who Jesus Christ is and looking at the whole idea of Christianity itself. Well, we actually offer a course that's going to be started by um, Al Stewart next week, actually on the 14th of May. Um, you'll see the time and also the details in there. If you're interested in that or you're in, you know someone that might be, please fill out that form and you can hand that to Mark back there in the back. He would probably really appreciate that. And uh, we'll make sure we get you the details in regards to the short course for the curious on Christianity. So once again, Simon, thank you so much for being here today. We hope to see you all back next week at the forum. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.